this very is, breezy. You should talk about what lake we're talking about. Lake it's not Victoria, just any lake. Lake Victoria, Lake Victoria. <laughs> yeah. A view of, of Lake Victoria, it's breezy. During my lunch break, I eat outside. I came across some information about the fact that if you're going to take your meals, mm -hmm. if you want to be healthier, mm -hmm. you should eat. You shouldn't eat at your desk. Okay. Go outside, take in some air. Get away from that. Welcome from the back to Africa Science Focus, the show that introduces you to the continent's most inspiring science leaders. I'm Michael Kaloki. New research is getting started every day on the continent. But there's much more to all these studies and investigations than meets the eye. This week, we catch up with education and science communication guru, Konishem Lewe. While research is essential to developing our understanding of the world, the work for scientists doesn't end when they leave the lab or the field. Dr. Shemlewe tells our reporter Halima Thumani. All that new knowledge needs to be shared with the world. Good science communication can influence the way people form ideas, how world leaders develop policy, and how teachers educate their students. Dr. Shemlewe tells us more. So one of the ways in which I communicate the ideas that I have about the state of our education system is through blogging. I also write in, in, in science communication outlets like The Conversation, like Nature, The Scientific African. And then I'm a Toastmaster. So Toastmasters is an international organization where people learn how to speak in public but also take on leadership skills. So at the moment, I lead the Toastmaster Leadership Institute which helps train club officers across East Africa. So that's Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Ethiopia, and Uganda. As a speaker, I am invited to speak about educational matters. I think if you want to be influential in your society, you have to be able to speak well. Dr. Shimlewe has studied what's called educational measurement. That's how to measure students' knowledge, skills, and interests. Schools in Uganda have just reopened after the world's longest pandemic shutdown. Students were out of school for almost two years. Dr. Shimlewe says more than 10 million students are now trying to adjust to life back in the classroom. Madam Connie, one of the things you emphasize is the relevance of formal education across Africa. Uganda, for example, has just reopened schools after close to two years, let's say 15 months, because of a lockdown, and many children found themselves working and now don't, don't even want to return to school. When schools reopened, were you excited about that? COVID-19 and those two years of lockdown or school closure have made an already complex situation even more complex. You hear of what they call learning losses. Because children have been out of school, even what they had learned, they have lost. So if a child was in S2, when they go back, even what they knew as, as an S2 child or student, they've lost. They might have regressed to like P7 level. So there's the learning loss that is being dealt with. And as you say, some of them perhaps already felt what was the point of school. Ah, school is just all these classroom activities, teachers telling you to read this, you have to copy these notes. It was very difficult for them to connect this schooling 
to real life. So now perhaps schooling has become even more alien to them. Men outnumber women in science around the world, particularly in Africa. For decades, education advocates have been working to boost the number of girls who study subjects like technology, mathematics, and physics. This is because people from different backgrounds offer new perspectives and can bring new solutions to old problems. Dr. Shemlewe tells Halima that she was a strong science student when she was at school. I think my story is similar to a lot of scientists that I know, and that is that you fall into the science field. You happen to do physics or maths well. As a girl, it's even more wonderful, I suppose, that you, that you do science as well. So I remember when I was going to A-level, I, I tried to do economics because I hated chemistry. But my headmistress came to the class and told me, Connie, you're not going to do economics, go to the chemistry class. She said, you know, there are not many girls that can do chemistry. You can do chemistry. I don't care if you hate it, you're going to do it. And so I ended up doing physics, chemistry, and mathematics. And then after that is you look at the university, what do you enroll in? Engineering. My dad is an engineer. I guess it was sort of just the obvious that I would, I would enroll as an engineer. So I fell into the science field. And no wonder I soon left it, I suppose. But I think scientific training is actually extremely important and useful to me to this day. And I think even when I look at the education system and I want to understand the problems or the issues in the education system, the mind that I bring to it is quite analytical, quite mathematical even. For me, that's also one of the unfortunate parts of the way we split science and arts so early. We all need science training and engineers need to be well-versed in the humanities, in philosophy, and so on. And lawyers or journalists also need to have a good grounding in, in scientific concepts. With a father as an engineer, did he not encourage you at all? Mm, I don't think he knew that I hated chemistry. I don't know why I hated chemistry. I, I, well, maybe I found it difficult, and I found it a little bit abstract. I just could not grasp them. I, I could not see why they were like that. I guess the way it could also be the way it was taught. Maybe it was taught not from first principles, so I did not know why the structure of alcohol was the way it was, or the structure, and why I was learning about the structure of alcohols and what other organic compounds. It, was, it made no sense to me. I found it difficult. I didn't like it. Dr. Shemlewe has now left the world of academia, but she continues to teach and to share knowledge with those around her. You were an academician for 15 years and decided to set that aside and run workshops for scientists. What instigated that move? There were 15 wonderful years. I loved teaching. And actually, the way that I quit engineering was I had been uh, working in construction as a civil engineer for maybe three years. And then a friend of mine needed to take maternity leave from her university job, and she wanted me to temporarily take over her classes in a school of architecture and building technology. And I remember when I first began to, to teach just how 
how exciting it was to work with students to learn things. And the research that went into preparing my lessons was, was really engaging. By the time I was getting to year 15, I had done my master's, I had done my PhD, and the university where I was teaching was kind of small. It was a private university, and I could not see where else I could go. I did not want to go into administration, and the research environment was underfunded and underactive, so I could not also do much research. Around the same time, I began to interact with people who were giving training to scientists in, in these policy-engaged research methods that I mentioned earlier, and also in science leadership. I myself was trained as a science leader in this African Science Leadership Program. And so I began to see other outlets on how I could use my knowledge of education to be, become more influential in society beyond academia. And I also began to see that staying in academia wasn't going to help me have impact on society as I began to feel that I needed to. Mm -hmm. I've been able to grow a lot more in my, as a person, in my skills, in my networks, even in my influence. I speak to people in the examination board, for instance, to people in the National Curriculum Development Center, to teachers, to parents, to other scientists. Around the time I was leaving academia, I joined a global organization called the Global Young Academy, which is uh, made up of really brilliant young scientists from all over the world. So that also enabled me to become much more active in the activities of the Global Young Academy. So yes, I think I, think I was successful. Dr. Shemlewe has found a way to bring together science and the arts through her focus on communication. And it may be her somewhat unorthodox relationship with science that has made Dr. Shemlewe a leading science and policy facilitator in Uganda. I think we African scientists are becoming more confident in our abilities to research our own problems we are beginning to realize that for far too long, our problems have been defined by the outside. But the more we do this policy-engaged research or community-engaged research, the more we realize that some of the questions that we have spent our lives dealing with were actually questions that do not, that are not, that don't come from the grassroots. It, it's becoming more apparent to us that the questions that we are spending our time on are not the questions that really have emerged from the grassroots. They have been determined externally. So I have hope that the future of, of scientific research in uh, Africa is going to become more and more informed by our own voices as Africans. And be much more responsive to the challenges that we face and, and come up with much more appropriate solutions as opposed to how it has been in the past where the research agenda has been externally defined and perhaps not as impactful as it could be. As for science communication, I would like to think that we are also gradually beginning to appreciate the the value 
of communicating our science to the public. Years ago, scientists, when I approached them, when I approached universities and told them, you know, let's, let's train the scientists in science communication, they often felt that this was not their job to communicate science to the public. Their job was to communicate, to write up their research for publication in journals. But over time, they have really begin, begun to appreciate the value of simplifying the science that they do and communicating it so that the public can also become aware of, of the research, of the findings of their research. So I think it's, we're on the way up. I think the scientific endeavor can benefit a lot more from more cross-cutting skills development. I mentioned that my first scientific training has been very helpful in me comprehending the issues that we have in our education system. And <clears throat> I feel that scientists could be trained in a more broad way. A molecular scientist tends to really focus on the discipline and on the minutiae of what they do as molecular scientists. But if they do not recognize the the social aspects around molecular science or the economic aspects around it, then they may not fully appreciate how their findings in molecular science or the work that they do in the research, how it relates to other parts of, of, of life. I think that the trend towards more transdisciplinary research and uh, broader skills training is healthy, and I am happy that I'm participating in that. And that's all we have time for this week on Africa Science Focus. If you'd like to find out more about Cornish Mlewe, you can head over to the SciDevNet website at www.scidev.net. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis and edited by Fiona Broom, with reporting from Halima Athumani. I'm Michael Kaloki. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Africa Science Focus is supported by the Carnegie Corporation of New York.